NBA on NBC. What's up, everybody? This is Jim Milak, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former New York Yankees center fielder Bernie Williams, and whether or not he should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame and joining us in just a moment to discuss Bernie's career and Hall of Fame candidacy is friend of the pod and senior writer at 538, Neil Payne. Before I bring Neil on, let's talk a little more about Bernie Williams. So Bernie Williams fell off the ballot when he was on it after just two years. He came on the ballot in 2012, got 9.6% of the vote, but then in 2013, he fell off, getting only 3.3% of the vote. So it is up now to a senior committee, a veterans committee, to get him in. When he was playing for the Yankees, uh, he played from 1991 to 2006, so 16 MLB seasons. He was a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glover, and of course, won four World Series with the Yankees when they were just winning all the time. He also was a one-time Silver Slugger and won a batting title in 1998, batting 339. He also won the ALCS MVP award in 1996 when he hit two home runs, six RBIs, and hit 474 in that series. So Bernie Williams is someone, again, who he was part of those Yankees teams in the, the late 90s that were just winning World Series in an insane clip. Uh, Derek Jeter, of course, is the headliner there, but honestly, Bernie Williams was the best batter on those teams. And Neil and I will talk a little more about you know why Bernie doesn't get considered a part of the core four from those championship teams and why maybe we don't talk about him being one of the better players on those teams. You know, when we talk about those Yankee teams, it's, it's always Jeter. I feel like it's Pettit, Posada, of course, Mariano Rivera. Bernie kind of is an afterthought, but, you know, he was I arguably one of, if not the best player on those teams. And again, Neil and I are going to talk about that and much more on today's pod. So we have a great one today. So with the quick facts out of the way, let's bring on Neil. All right. So I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, senior writer at 538, Neil Payne. Neil, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Jim. It's great to be back. Uh, this is uh, what they used to say with the Chicago Bulls dynasty, one for the thumb, right? The uh, fifth appearance on the show. This is the fifth appearance. I apologize to Neil beforehand. I wanted him to have a five-timers hat to wear to the pot. He's the second five-timer. Um, the merch, though, is coming. I told Neil and I don't think I've announced this any pods in the past. There is merch on the way. So when I get that merch, we will put it up on Twitter. I'll advertise it here. And we're also getting Neil a hat uh, because he is the second member of the Five Timers Club. But we love having him on. Last time Neil was on, we did hockey. I was very out of my element. We are now back to baseball. I am very in my element. And today's podcast is a really good one. We are tackling the Hall of Fame candidacy and career of Bernie Williams of court. Of course, the you know Yankees great center fielder among many Yankees great center fielders. Bernie came on the ballot back in 2012. He got 9.6% of the vote that year and then fell off in 2013 with just 3.3% of the vote. So now it is up to the senior committee, um, which of course we know there's so many names they have to go through for Bernie to get in. And Neil and I, per usual, talk about his career and can see Neil, first questions first. You know the drill here. When you think of Bernie Williams, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
I think about a true renaissance man, and I think that's that's in every sense of the word. First, uh, in baseball, just on the field, at different points in his career, he was really good at a lot of different things, whether it was like his defense, especially early in his career. He hit for average. He won a batting title in 1998. He could hit for power. He was patient uh, at the plate. He was just consistently really good. And one way that really illustrated that for me is if you look at these plus stats that they have at Fangraphs, which index a bunch of different categories like on-base percentage, batting average, slugging, that type of thing to league average. In the span of nine seasons from 1994 to 2002, Bernie Williams never once had a below average value in any major offensive rate category, which is crazy. Uh, I also want to note talking about renaissance men he was a switch hitter he hit from both sides of the plate and naturally he was good at both he had an 839 ops from the left side 900 from the right side and of course we have to talk about that after his career ended he became a grammy nominated jazz guitar player Uh, he was just one of these guys that got extra amounts when they were handing out talent it seemed like uh, you know uh, in, in life so I think of a renaissance man and then I also think about a guy who's just underrated like when those uh, when we talk about those Yankees you always hear about the core four Derek Jeter Andy Pettit Jorge Posada and Mariano Rivera and Bernie Williams is for some reason never really included in that group and I think that makes him really easy to overlook and I never quite really understood that because he was one of the best players driving especially when they were winning the championships so that dynasty that they had from 96 to 2000 probably Jeter was the only player on those teams whether you look at wins above replacement or other statistics that was better than Bernie as a contributor to that era yeah that I'm glad you brought that up Neil because that has always confused me honestly how he was not considered part of that core four I was looking especially the run where they won the four World Series between 96 and 2000. And of course, Jeter's, you know, the face of everything. He's the leader. And I know Pettit and Rivera, of course, Rivera's best closer of all time. Pettit, you know, has been the bout for a while. I think the steroids is going to maybe keep him out of the Hall of Fame. But, you know, Bernie Williams batting wise, like he was the best hitter, I think, by a large margin on those teams. You look at that 96 to 2000 range again when they, when they won four World Series, you know, Bernie's basically leading, you know, out of Posada and Jeter, the batters here. He's by far the best hitter. He's the most doubles. He has by far the most home runs and runs driven in. Um, his batting average is even better than Jeter's during that time. His on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS plus, all well and above Jeter and Posada. Now, I would never, ever, because I don't want Yankees fans burning my house down, I would never say anything that Bernie's better than Jeter or anything like that. I don't believe that. But but it is confusing. The core four of that time is missing, and I don't think anyone would dispute this, the best hitter on on the Yankees. It, it, It doesn't make sense. Yeah, honestly, it should be a core five. I know that doesn't rhyme. And so maybe that's the uh, the idea there. And, you know, we'll get into this a little later, but I think Bernie's career kind of tailed off maybe a little bit prematurely. And he also missed the window, although... I think that this is kind of a bad argument, but you could say he missed it on the front side as well a little bit. But, uh, you know, as I'll probably argue again later on, 
uh, he was kind of the precursor to that dynasty. He was the guy that sort of laid the, the groundwork and paved the way for all of these other guys from roughly a similar prospect class. You know, you're talking about the Yankees coming out of what was for them kind of a really bad period of time and they were not good uh we're talking about late 80s um early 90s and it had been since 1978 that they had won a world series which is unheard of i guess now we have we're in a kind of a similar uh drought for them but uh it, it was really an unheard of down period for them and then Bernie Williams was the guy that was sort of the spark that that uh laid the, the groundwork for, you know, all of these other great prospects coming up as well. Uh, and, and all of a sudden they were a dynasty. So, you know, there was a quote, I think it was from Jorge Posada um, when I wrote about Bernie Williams, where he was basically just like, thank God for Bernie Williams, because if he doesn't kind of make good uh, out of that prospect class and do well, then maybe none of the things that happen, uh, happen the way they do. You know, he said, uh, Posada said in 2016, if Bernie Williams doesn't do well, I don't think any of us would have been here. So I think that's a pretty telling statement about um, his importance and why, like, if you're talking about core players from that dynasty, uh, it just boggles the mind that he's not included in that group. Yeah. And, and we're going to, I will definitely bring up the core four back again in court. So let's table that for now. And let's go to our next segment. We call this that memorable moment. That memorable moment is sponsored by Stathead, the industry yes. standard for finding and analyzing the statistical history of your favorite sport. Right now we have a very limited time offer. If you use the special offer code fame at checkout you get $20 off an annual subscription to stathead so go so go to stathead.com and make sure you go check that out now neil i'm including you no one else gets to be included in these advertisements except <laughs> you and that is because you used to work at stathead so neil really quickly i want to turn over to you help out with this tell me a little bit about your time at stathead and also did you use stathead today well, yeah. So I worked for the reference family of sites who uh, run the Stathead uh, service, and uh, I used it for this exact segment. This is not a you know me kind of making up something for the ad read, but I literally used what's called the Pivotal Play Finder, which is amazing, by the way. It looks at the stat called Championship Win Probability Added, and it can tell you for any player or just you know in any. Uh, in any postseason, in any you know sequence of years, what the most important plays were that swung the team's odds of winning the World Series the most. And so, for uh, something like that memorable moment in baseball, we're talking. That's the definition of what we're talking about. In a lot of cases, is finding those plays that uh, swung a team's odds the most of winning the World Series. So I would highly recommend it. And I find you know in my job at Five Thirty Eight and just you know sports writing, I find it totally indispensable uh and i would recommend everybody to go out and check it out it's endorsed by neil Payne. it's endorsed by pot of fame go make sure you check that out again promo code is fame at checkout 20 dollars off all right let's go to that memorable moment Yeah. And so with Bernie Williams, you know, it's a little tough. I want to single out uh, a couple of games that he had that I think were actually really cool. And then maybe I'll throw in a few other ones. But so in the 95 
postseason where he had already um, come off like an amazing year during the regular season. He had about six and a half war in an abridged season because they didn't play the full year coming off the strike that year. So then against Seattle in the division series, he had a 1381 OPS. Now I know they lost that later in a heartbreaking fashion, but in game three of that series, he hit two home runs, one as a righty against Randy Johnson, and then another as a lefty later in the game. So that was a, uh, a pretty impressive kind of rare accomplishment. But then the next year in 96 against Texas in the division series, he had another two homer game where he hit a home run from both sides of the plate. So he did that in two straight years. So there have only been four cases ever where a player homered from both sides of the plate in a single playoff game. And Bernie Williams has half of them. He's, he's done two of them. So to me, I mean, maybe that's not the most memorable moment, but I think that's a pretty cool stat. I think that's pretty, telling about him yeah. and what kind of player he was moreover you know like I mentioned he was uh, indicative of this like turnaround that the Yankees had uh, and he played great in that division series in 95 like I said and then in 96 he was actually even better through the first two rounds of the postseason he was the MVP of the Jeffrey Mayer ALCS we'll call it uh, he hit 474 with a 1531 OPS against Baltimore in that series and he had a walk-off home run in the 11th inning of game one that really kind of set the tone for them to win and even though he he wasn't quite as good in the World Series. You could make a case that in the postseason, he was their best player. And again, they won their first title since 1978. Uh, so to me, that it was kind of indicative of his you know, a memorable sequence of performance in his career, along with, you know, that that uh, side note about the double home run games from both sides of the plate. Now, I was using the, the pivotal play finder, like I mentioned earlier, and maybe a little bit of this can explain why he is not thought of as, um, you know, maybe a core part of the dynasty or, you know, thought of in that same category as somebody like a Jeter, is that, each of the five most pivotal plays that he was involved in uh, as a batter uh, in the World Series came in World Series that the Yankees ended up losing. So three of the top five came in 2003 when they lost to the Marlins, and then two came from 2001 when they lost to the Diamondbacks. So maybe that might help explain why he's overlooked is like if they had ended up winning those series maybe we look back on um, some of the clutch plays that he had in those series through a different light which of course is not his fault you know it's sort of we've talked about this often when we're talking about the memorable moments is so much of it is dependent on how things play out and how the narrative plays out that you basically have no control over and in baseball you probably have less control over than other athletes in other sports yeah, no, those are all excellent points. I love the switch hitting home run thing. I, I did not know that. So I'm it's learning a great something, stat, right? I, it's a great stat. Um, I mean, Neil, I had jotted down the, the entire 96 playoffs. I mean, if they were giving out a MVP trophy for the entire start to finish, uh, I think he gets it. You know, it, it was either him or Jeter in terms of the MVP of the whole playoffs. Of course, he won the ALCS MVP. But for those tw 15 games across those playoffs, the guy hit had 20 hits, six home runs, 15 RBIs, batted 345, 435 on base, 707 slugging. OPS is 1.142. And the craziest thing is, again, Bernie, and we're talking about this in a little bit, Bernie and Derek Jeter are at the top of the charts in basically every offensive category for the postseason because they played so many games. But I was, I'm thinking back, like, 
you know, Big Poppy's in the Hall of Fame now, as he should be. I'm all about Big Poppy getting it. I'm fine with that. But I think the thing that people like it puts him over the edge was his playoff moments, right? Like he oh, was completely. just a menace, a menace, right? Completely. So in this, I just want everyone at home to realize this because I I still double checked to make sure I was not reading this wrong. So Bernie Williams in this postseason had six home runs. Big Poppy never had a postseason with six home runs. Wow. He, he, hit, he hit five home runs in two different postseasons, but never, and again, he had three World Series runs, never had six. So when we think of Big Poppy, we think of this guy, and he does. He went off in October, and he was this star, and he had memorable moments throughout when they were winning the World Series. As you said, Bernie was when they were maybe losing his more memorable moments. But still, in this postseason run 96, he had six home runs. Big Poppy never did that. And I think of him as this like October God. So for, and Bernie Williams to me is not even a home run hitter. He was just one of the best hitters and he caught fire here. So I just want to put that into context that Bernie Williams has a lot of the records or close to the records of the playoffs, but it's, and he did play a ton of games, but he also was dominant in, in some of these world series runs. And I just want to make sure everyone at home realizes that. So I just want to be clear. So loved your switch hitting stats, home run stats kind of jump off the page. I think that's a very pro Bernie kind of conversation there. Yeah, the postseason numbers, uh, and and I'll uh, get into it a little more when we're doing court later. But I think he's wildly underrated just for how good of a postseason hitter he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, normally, when we're talking about players that maybe get you know overlooked for their Hall of Fame case, we're talking about guys that might have been monsters during the regular season and then didn't quite sustain that during the playoffs, or that's kind of a glaring flaw in their numbers. With yep. Bernie, though, you look at his postseason stats and they're basically the same as his regular season stats, which is yeah. very rare for players. I think Jeter's also are similar, and that speaks to like Jeter and Bernie Williams have a lot in common. And we talk about one guy as though he's, you know, kind of an inner circle type of Hall of Fame guy. And then his teammate, who also was great and was also a big part of all of those championships, we don't think about it all. It's like a very bizarre dichotomy between the two guys. It, it is. It is. And we, we're going to probably – hit on maybe why that is a little later, but Neil, I want to go to our next segment. We of course call this and twins. Ah, no! Quarterbacks eating dirt, pom-poms and short skirts, fans who won't quit, and those twins. And you know the drill here. It's someone in Cooperstown today who best reminds you of Bernie Williams. I have someone down here. I'm doubting we're going to match today, but let's see. So who do you have down? Yeah, we almost never match, I think, because uh. I used kind of our, uh, arcane, <laughs> obscure statistical methods of trying to find similar players. But that's but why you're here, Neil. I love exactly. that. So please Bring go. the different, uh, different yes. takes on it. So, you know, uh, going back to saying that it was tough to find a, a magical moment in some ways, I think it's also tough to find similar Hall of Fame players because – very few players were as versatile and just had a similar career arc, but I'll throw some guys at you. So Minnie Minoso is mm. someone that statistically shows up as being very similar in terms of uh, his, how similar his best seasons by wins above replacement were to Bernie Williams. He also played eight seasons from 1951 to 1958 without a single major below average stat during his prime, much le- according to that Fangraphs number, the plus stats, much like Bernie Williams. Now he's a left field 
infielder, not a center fielder. And, you know, similar to Williams, his career was a little bit truncated for length too, but on the front end, because of segregation, he actually had a couple of amazing seasons in the Negro leagues in 1947 and 1948. Mm -hmm. He hit like a kind of prime Bernie like batting line in those years, 350 average, 394 on base percentage and a 921 OPS. And then in the American league, he proceeded to put up numbers very similar to Bernie Williams. He had a slightly higher peak. I think Larry Doby is another guy that's similar in that regard too. Obviously in both cases, the difference is that their careers would have been longer if not for racism. Whereas with Williams, it was just his career was not as long from a productive standpoint because he kind of fell off a cliff in his early to mid thirties. Now, let me throw a few other obscure Hall of Famers at you because this is fun. So uh, a guy named Kai Kai Kyler, who was an outfielder from the 1920s and 30s, he is one of the most similar players with, when you use an algorithm that looks for a similar sort of like shape of career and quality. Kyler was fourth most similar to Williams among all batters uh, behind Ron Say, Mickey Cochran, who's also a Hall of Famer, but a catcher. Mm -hmm. So it's a little weird co uh, comparison. And Robin Ventura, of all people. Oh, so wow. Kai Kai Kyler. And then uh, Earl Coombs, who also happened to be a fellow yep. Yankee, shows up. Uh, he's another kind of old-timey guy. And then finally, one more note on that consistency. So of the 76 qualified batters in baseball history who had above-average career numbers in all of the categories I was talking about earlier walk rate contact rate batting average on base slugging weighted runs created plus an isolated power 34 of those so 45 percent are in the hall of fame so we're talking about another sort of like he has some twins in that regard and about half of those twins are already in the hall of fame as well Neil, this is exactly why we bring you on because you just sounded extremely intelligent going through that comp and then mine's going to be very dumbed down, but <laughs> I, I, I love those. I really like the mini Minoso one. I, I, uh, I think that's an excellent point. And in like that arc, I know of mini is, I feel like in my head, other than Bernie, you know, coming out of retirement at 57 in a few years, the, the player, wherever, how old mini was when he came out. Yeah. I, I really like those, those, those all, I don't have any of those down and you threw out like five and I didn't have either any of those. So we will continue to not have the same one here. And that's always great. Um, I had one that I think, again, some of those players, everyone knows some of those players, they definitely don't know. I have someone, most people probably know that fall baseball and it's Duke Snyder, another New York oh, center yeah. fielder, you know, like Snyder was on two world series teams for those Dodgers, um, you know, eight time all-star, and he was someone that kind of took a while to get in and he got in finally as 11th try his first year on the ballot. He only got 17% of the vote, which is almost kind of near where Bernie got. He played in six world series one, two. So he was always in the world series there. And he looks their numbers on Duke Snyder is obviously a bigger slugger than Bernie. I mean, that, that was what kind of, I didn't even want to go near him at first, but when you really look at the numbers, at bats, they were within 700 at bats, and they played almost the same amount of games. And then, if we really look at it, Bernie beats him in doubles, um, but Duke has about 100 more home runs. RBIs, they're very similar. Bernie was a little better on the base pats, but their slash lines are almost identical, other than when we get to the slugging stats. Like Bernie batted 297, Duke batted 296. Bernie's on base 381, Duke's 380. When it gets to slugging, it gets a little more, you know, out of balance. But really, they were, in my head, two New York center fielders 
that that were excellent hitters on some World Series championship teams. And when I think of those Dodgers teams in the 50s, I'm immediately going to think of Jackie Robinson first. And then I might think of Pee Wee Reese and Duke Snyder in the same token with Bernie, Derek Jeter's the main draw. And then you're going to think of the other guys. So I saw some similarities there. Obviously, Snyder's a little different. The one thing I didn't know, and we haven't talked about this yet with Bernie, but I, I want to bring it up now. It could have been in court, but so Bernie won four gold gloves. Yeah. Bernie rates out just catastrophically in terms of any defensive advanced metric. Now, Neil, when we were both growing up, I was, I was a little young to, I think, pay that close attention to how someone was playing defense in center. But I look at gold gloves and I'm like, he had to be pretty good. And I also know Bernie was a fast guy. So I was like, he probably covered a lot of ground. I know I, 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 I've been told and I've talked to people, he had a weaker arm, but he seemed like he was a center fielder with range. And obviously he won gold gloves. So he couldn't have been like Kyle Schwarber out in left field. So how bad was he? T t like, was he a bad center fielder? Cause I think Duke Snyder was a pretty good center fielder. That's where with Bernie, I don't know if that comp really gets thrown off. If Bernie was really as bad as the advanced metrics say. Yeah, and that's always kind of a tough question because it comes up with Jeter as well. Yeah. You know, obviously Jeter is like famously uh, the, the match between the gold gloves and the uh, reputation versus the statistics is like as disparate as any player, probably in maybe not even just baseball history, but sports history. So I noticed that too, as I was kind of researching that. And I, I can't really give you like a great reason why necessarily his fielding numbers were not considered better. I do think that um, it was also a little bit of an awkward time for advanced metrics. So, you know, we didn't really get like defensive runs saved and some of the advanced numbers that we have now, we definitely didn't have like stat cast. We didn't have outs above average or anything at that time, but we, uh, Bernie Williams was basically done as being like a, a good player by like 2003 or 2004, when they started uh, putting up, you know, numbers like defensive runs saved. And so for before that, we're kind of estimating based on things like, you know, uh, put outs in the outfield and outfield assists and the breakdown of, you know, whether the pitching staffs that he played in front of skewed lefty or righty. So, you know, is the ball, I guess for center fielder, it doesn't really matter, but you know, are they pulling the ball or are they hitting it the opposite way and trying to estimate chances that a player had to impact the game. So there's inherently going to be, you know, uh, it's 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 a fuzzy process I guess uh, there and I think that you see that in some of his numbers where like he was plus 14 runs above average in 1995 and then he was minus 14 the next year it sort of defies uh, explanation sometimes when you see those it's like he didn't really change wow how do you explain a 28 run which by the way is three wins almost 28 run swing in a player's defensive performance from year to year so I would feel uh, better about those numbers if they had come in sort of the outs above average era that would be great uh, you know if we had stat cast uh, and this is a little bit of what you get with like Andrew Jones too you know that's somebody that uh, I know you've talked about in the past as well where you're getting these numbers that are a mix of the pre uh you know, uh, play by play tracking, and then you get into that tracking era, and you're just sort of throwing them together and trying to kind of make a 
estimation off of that. So I don't know. I, I just don't know how in a pre-tracking era you get like negative 22 runs like he was in 2002 in center field. That maybe that's another argument. You know, this was always the argument was that when when the Yankees got a rod, they should have kept him at short and moved Jeter into the outfield and then maybe put Bernie, you know, maybe he could DH, maybe he could play a corner or something like that. Uh, I would buy the argument completely that by the time he was in his 30s, he should not have been playing center field. I think I, I find that somewhat easy to, to defend as an argument. <laughs> No, I completely agree. So going to our final segment again, we call this court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And this is where Neil and I are going to talk about the pros and cons of his case. And of course, we've been doing this throughout the podcast. Neil, there's two kind of places I want to go for the case for, and then we're tackle some case against and we're do final verdict. So first I want to start, we talked about this kind of already, but burning the postseason. So, so these are his all-time rankings in MLB history. He In the postseason, he is first all-time in RBIs, second in runs scored, second in hits, second in total bases, second in doubles, third in home runs, third in walks. That is in the history of major leagues. Now, we can all be very reasonable here and understand that for a very long time, you only played in the World Series. So I totally get that. Everyone at home relaxed. But still... The playoffs have expanded quite a long time ago now, and still he is first, second, or third in most of these. And I looked, and there's really no one trailing him too closely right now in any of these that's going to surpass him soon. Neil, my question to you is, and you just brought it up, so I love that you said that. Do you feel like postseason stats should be heavily weighted when we're looking at Hall of Fame? Or do you feel like it's something we barely – because I. I'll say this. I do. I feel like it should be weighted, not heavily, but we should take into account. I feel like it doesn't. I I feel like baseball Hall of Fame out of all of them, we don't really care as much about the postseason. I don't really know why. What's your opinion? Do you think we should care more about this? Yeah, I think it sounds like you and I are in similar places on this because I don't think they should be heavily weighted. After all, it's a really small sample compared to 162 games of the regular season. But yeah, baseball, you know, made a conscious choice. And I think probably it dates back to when they um, when the World Series was all of the postseason or you're talking about before like 1904, there wasn't even a World Series, at least not one that sort of was anything other than an exhibition and baseball had already been uh, major league baseball had already been a thing for like three decades or more by that point. So I think they really set this template for regular season stats being the same as just stats, you know, like we're not talking about postseason. We're not making room for anything outside of that. Now, do I don't think that when we're talking about someone's season stats, we should add their postseason home runs into their regular season and have that, you know, be one number. But I do think it deserves consideration because if we're going to pay so much attention to the World Series and pay so much attention to the postseason race, you know, uh, and I feel like baseball has made that more and more front and center as more time has passed for obvious reasons. It's a moneymaker for them that uh, when players perform really well in that postseason, they should get credit for that. I don't think that that's like a controversial statement. And so somebody like Bernie Williams, to to even be able to rank as highly on those lists that you just mentioned, yes, 
he had to play in an era of expanded playoffs compared with pre, you know, 1969 or even pre-1995 baseball. I get that as well. But you also have to be a regular player who plays a lot and contributes a lot on basically a dynasty. And those are really rare. You know, we have not gotten I, I don't think we've really even had a, a team that could certainly not on the same level could be considered a dynasty uh, since that team. So it's impressive that he was a major contributor for a team that was one of the, you know, handful of best uh, multi-year runs in baseball history. And he deserves credit for that. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I also look, I touched on this a little earlier, but I look at when I'm thinking about postseason stats also, it's, it's not just a question of like, okay, how good were you in the postseason in a vacuum? But also, did you play better or worse than usual? And obviously, we expect players to play worse in the postseason than in the regular season because they're facing tougher opposition. And so when you have a player like Bernie Williams, who's OPS in the playoffs, I think it was 850 in his career and his uh, regular season average was like 858. So it's basically exactly the same in the playoffs versus the regular season. And then he had an OPS over a thousand on three different occasions in the postseason. That to me is a pretty cool stat also, you know, in terms of telling you about what kind of a player he was, he didn't shrink away from the moment. Yeah, no, I, again, I, it should not be heavily weighted, but I do feel like with baseball, I don't feel like it's talked about enough. And I feel like if someone is that high on the list, and again, just because Bernie played in all those games, he had a lot of teammates. They're not ahead of him on these lists other than Jeter. It's him and Jeter at the top. They made all those games, but they performed when they got there. And as you said, there's a lot of all-time greats in Cooperstown that I feel like the one negative when we talk about case against, it's that they didn't perform in the postseason, but that doesn't always seem to I don't know. It doesn't seem to deter people from voting for him much at all. And sometimes I feel like it should a little bit. If you're not performing in the biggest spots, I know in the ba- in basketball that would matter a ton. Oh I my know, god! I, I mean, can you imagine if yeah, you don't show up in a Western Conference final? That's all we talk about. So when we do this show, I mean, he's probably not going to be borderline enough to do an episode on, but on like Chris Paul or someone like that, you can right? bet we're going to talk about the. We would. That's all that. we talk about. So it is interesting how it's a little different. Um, one more thing I want to get to before we get to a few of the negatives here more, and maybe, I don't know, this could work either or I was looking at like the best center fielders of the air he played in. Right. Um, and again, it's hard with baseball because people play for so long, but I jotted down some names here. Um, only two of these center fielders are in the hall of fame, Ken Griffey Jr. And Kirby Puckett. And then there's a group of five, including Bernie that aren't in the hall of fame, but I think are, you know, we talk about it. We have a conversation. Real quick, Neil, I want to run through these names. And if it was Neil, you can only put one of these guys in the Hall of Fame. Who would you put in? That's how I want you to answer it. So, for example, like, again, Kirby Puckett's not going to be a part of this. He's in. But if I was like Kirby Puckett or Bernie Williams, you would say Kirby Puckett. And then we go to the next, okay? Ooh, that is really tough. Yeah, let's do this. I'm going to do it for four center fielders, okay? Yeah. Kenny Lofton. I would take Kenny Lofton over Bernie. Okay. Andrew Jones. Uh, whew, that is really tough. That, that is one of the tougher ones. Um, I'm tempted to say Bernie, but I think I'm going to go Andrew. Okay. Jim Edmonds. I'm going to go Bernie with that. I okay. could see them being kind of even. And then the last one is Tory Hunter. I would go Bernie. Okay. 
So you have Bernie. I was just, I made the best center fielders there and it was Griffey, Kirby. Then we got Lofton, Andrew, just for fun for the listeners at home, Lofton versus Andrew Jones. Oh, Lofton versus Andrew Jones. Uh, I go Lofton. Okay. So you have Bernie as the fifth rated center fielder of an air. And I think, Neil, honestly, I didn't know if that was going to be a pro or against Bernie type of discussion, but I think that hurts him, and this is why. There is a lack of center fielders in the Hall of Fame. This is a crazy stat I stumbled upon. Griffey and Puckett are the only center fielders to debut in the last 50 years to get in the Hall of Fame. Wait, what? Yes. To be elected by the voters. There's probably senior committees. But to be elected by the voters last 50 years, to have 50% or more of their career starts in their center field, it's Griffey and Puckett, and that's it. That's crazy. That so is when a you, crazy stat. So, Neil, when you say that he is behind Lofton, who we know fell off the first year, Andrew Jones, who he's still up in the air, and he's fifth here. Now, both of not, those guys, for the record, have been treated – Yes. I think very unfairly. Oh, I agree with you completely, yeah. but it's still, I'm just talking from a voter standpoint. If yeah. Bernie's fifth here, that's, that's a pretty, he's an uphill battle then unless things start changing here. Again, I would, I would say, Neil, if you and I were talking in 10 years, I would say at minimum, one of those three guys is in the hall of fame by then either Lofton Jones or Williams could be two, honestly, but still as of today with Griffey and Puckett being the only center fielders the last 50 years, it's not easy to be a center fielder. And to kind of go upon that, do you think it hurts Bernie Williams that he was a center fielder, but not only a center fielder, but a center fielder for the New York Yankees? It's DiMaggio. It's Mantle. Are, are, is this just like center fielders are already, I guess, put on a pedestal when it comes to the Hall of Fame of it's Willie Mays. It's DiMaggio. It's Mantle. It's Griffey. Is playing for the Yankees and being center field a double whammy? Do you think that's actually hurting Bernie when it's coming to his case here? Because he's just compared to people that it's not even fair to be compared to? Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I mean, I kind of thought, I actually had, um, I wrote down under my pros list, a beloved and iconic player <laughs> from a dynasty in the media capital of the country. But I do think you have a great point that being in that lineage, Maybe there is the expectation, you know, we uh, like Bobby Bonds is a good comparison of a guy that he was always compared to Willie Mays. And he even though he was a great player, he wasn't Willie Mays. And I think that really affected his perception. And I could see that being like if you're viewed as being in the lineage of, you know, these other great center fielders. And when Bernie came up. It was not that long ago that Mickey Mantle was playing center field for the Yankees. Now, to us now, it's like, OK, that may as well have been like, you know, ancient history. Uh, and we're not, you know, comparing Aaron Hicks to, yeah, or you know, we're not talking about Aaron Judge as being part of the, the lineage of that or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it probably meant more at that time. And you mentioned Duke Snyder. I mean, it was. Willie Mickey and the Duke, you know, were the New York uh, center fielders of that era that was considered the greatest in the history of New York baseball. You had a little bit of a mini era with the Mets and Yankees in the late 90s, but, uh, you know, it was not really on that same level. So nothing can really compare to the past, I think, when you're trying to kind of lift those up. And, you know, that's a good point. I never thought about that, that that might be actually a negative for him to be in that um, conversation. 
Yeah, and the final thing around center fielders, and this ties more to Bernie as well, is right. I think the biggest knock on him, especially with voters today, is going to be he does not grade out very well when it comes to advanced metrics, right? Like his career war um, with sports reference is 49.6. The average center fielder in the hall is 71.6. His jaws is 43.6. The career Hall of Famer center fielder is 58.1. Now his peak war is almost there. It's 37.6 peak war for seven years is 44.7 for a hall of famer. But as you said, his career kind of tailed off and then it kind of just ended near the end. He never put up some of the counting stats that you would want. His numbers across the board all look really good, but they're just like very good. They're not hall of fame level. So with the advanced metrics, like a lot of people we talk about, that does help their case. That really helps Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton, it, it, for it, sure. It, it, it Andrew does, Jones. Andrew Jones. It does not here help Bernie. And a big part of that, again, goes back to what we talked about earlier. The defense kills him on this. Offensively, great grade. Defensively, he's in the negatives. It's killing him, not hurting him. Yeah, and I, him. yeah I, I think that that's totally true. That's like basically there are two things when you're looking at the advanced numbers that are going to hurt Bernie Williams more than anything else. And it's the defense, especially in an era where we're like caring about that for hall of fame. We're looking at that. Like we are looking at wins above replacement. We are looking at, you know, defensive runs saved and things like that. And I think that has completely changed the conversation around players that are either at the extreme positives, like an Andrew Jones or the extreme negatives, like, you know, Jeter was so great and so undeniable that you, you can't use his defense against him, but for somebody more borderline like Bernie, that does factor. And then the other thing, yeah, like you said, it was the staying power where basically outside of his top 10 years, so from 92 to 2002, he actually had a negative total war outside of that decade of, you know, sort of greatness. And he was done being a useful player by the age of 34. And in fact, he actually made $12.4 million a year each year from 2003 to 05, despite being extremely washed. And the Yankees didn't even want him back, you know, at the end of his contract. So, you know, the deep maybe you look at the four gold gloves and give him uh, some measure of benefit of the doubt. I don't know that people do that anymore. You know, the gold glove has become so maligned uh, over the years, but it's crazy that he was only worth double digit fielding runs above average once. And he was worth negative double digits eight times. Let that sink in. That really speaks to the defense. Um, And then my, my other thing on the con list was an attempt to explain why, just from a personality standpoint, I don't think he got as much sort of limelight, was that he was just this kind of quiet, cerebral, low-key guy in the clubhouse. Well, they, I read some story, I think it was from Sports Illustrated, where they were talking about Bernie's just always kind of lost in thought. He's always kind of in his own little world in the clubhouse and thinking about something. And, uh, you know, not one of these vocal guys in, in the locker room that you know, there was no shortage of guys like that on that Yankee team, whether you're talking about Jeter, you're talking about David Wells, you're talking about, you know, just these larger than life presences that they had on the team, Paul O'Neill. And so um, Bernie Williams, I think, faded into the background from like a personality standpoint against all these other kind of big personalities and just put his head down and did his job. But sometimes a player like that can get overlooked pretty easily. Yeah, no, that, that's very true. So, Neil, oh, by the way, he appeared on Seinfeld. That was another he thing did, I saw that I, in the pro. I came, 
I came across that and I don't know if I've seen that episode because I, I don't think remember I, did, I, guess, I think it was a George, you know, when George worked for the Yankees, I think there were a few um, like they used a few players in the background. Uh, so like Jeter, I think, was in an episode and may have been standing next to Bernie. I don't know if he even had any lines in it. I don't think he had. Uh, I'm trying to think of um, who, who the player was that had ironically had like a very um, prominent role, I want to say, in like a. Um, episode on Seinfeld and uh, ended up Danny Tartable. Danny Tartable, I think, had like multiple lines in like an episode and was like a side character in one episode. And he had no staying power, the Yankees, after sort of a, you know, hot start to his career. But Bernie Williams is like kind of a background guy. So it's funny how those things work out. I'm gonna have to go look for that. So Neil, final verdict here. I ask you two questions always. One, do you think Bernie Williams deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Would you put him in? And then the second question is, do you think he'll ever get in? I would say on the first one, I'm leaning no, but it's very borderline. Um, just because like we talked about, there's a number of center fielders who had better careers that are not in yet. And maybe all those guys have their day with the Veterans Committee eventually. Um, but, you know, if he's not as good as them from a resume standpoint, he's going to have to wait. Uh, and then as to whether he will be, you know, I think maybe actually that's a yes, because I do think someday through the various committees, the Yankees factor, the postseason factor, all these things will help him more than a player that if it was just any old random player who dropped off the ballot after a few years and had a certain amount of stats. So that would be my argument for why I don't think he should be, although I'm like very on the fence, but I think he will be when if we talk in 20 years, I don't know. So I actually am a yes here. And, and, and here's why. Um, yes, son should be. I think he should be in. And and, and I look at the, that dynasty of the Yankees, and that could honestly be like one of the last, I don't know if there's going to be another baseball dynasty like that, like winning four championships from 96 to 2000. Like, I, I don't know if we're going to see that again, to be honest, in baseball. And and I look at that team, and Jeter's in the Hall of Fame, and Mariano's in the Hall of Fame, of course, but I don't know if Pettit's ever going to get in. Wade Boggs was on the 96 team, but I don't count him as like part of the dynasty fully. So I'm going to just say, if we're looking at that dynasty, it feels wrong that the best hitter on that and those four world series championship teams is not in the hall of fame. And if you look back to some of those earlier Yankees dynasties from like the thirties or the fifties, there's like six, seven, one of the teams is like nine hall of famers on it. And you could say that's wrong. It shouldn't be like that. But it also feels wrong if there's only like two or three Hall of Famers uh, on, on this team that just dominated for half the decade. And, and honestly, into the 2000s, they win, but they were always there. And it's not like he was just a supporting role guy. He was, again, the best hitter. And in, you know, the last, he has the best, some of the best postseason numbers of the last 25, 30 years. And those, again, might stick around because people won't get that many games under their belt. So, I think all of that with a above average regular season career to me puts him over. Do I ever think he'll get in? I agree with you. I do. Neil, I think it's though like 30 years from now. And I think it's probably some committee that's formed of like, they're going to, it's going to be sad because we're going to be old men, but they're going to call it like the old time, like, <laughs> like, like end of the 20th century 
area. And you know, people are going to be like, that's so long ago. And they're like, who's this guy on four World Bernie Series? Williams. Yeah, four World Series championship teams. Like, he was the best hitter on those. And then it'll uh, get who is so he? like Kai Kai Kyler Earl Coombs? That, that that's what it's gonna sound like to people. But I, I I think he eventually gets in. It's a long ways away though. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It's a long ways away. This podcast will not be around uh, when it when he when he gets in. But those are my answers. Those were Neil's. Um, Neil, as always, we love having you on. We of course will have you back back on in the future. We will have a hat for you by then, so you can wear the hat. Um, real quick before we get you out of here, you want to plug what you're working on right now real quick? Uh, yeah, you can find my work at 538 and uh, I'm actually running the sports section there. So I uh, am helping other people also do some great work there. And of course, I'm on Twitter at Neil underscore pain. Make sure you go check out Neil's writing and follow him on Twitter. Neil, thanks again. Have a great weekend. You too, Jim. Always a pleasure. All right. I want to thank Neil again for coming on. Always a treat to have him on and we will get him that five timers hat. Uh, That is all we have today. If you don't already, please subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave us a rating review. Follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame. Again, don't forget to take advantage of that stat head offer. Again, it's $20 off an annual subscription by using the promo code FAME at checkout. Again, FAME at checkout for $20 off an annual subscription. But we will talk to you next Monday. Have a great week.